Uh, that's why I brought my friend up here this morning. I need a little extra comfort and affirmation. Is this kind of throwing everybody off that I'm kind of snuggling a teddy bear? You know? Yeah? No? You know, some of you. How many of you are like, I don't care, shut up, just get without the sermon right now, you know? <laughs> get practical here. I'll, I'll set my friend down here for a moment. We'll come back to him when the time is right. Uh, but he's going to have a, a proper place. I remember when I first, last service, uh, somebody had moved from Tennessee to Bakersfield. And uh, they had reminded me of what it was like to first move here. And uh, she's, she's praying in the, in the boiler room right now. She's praying for us, for the service, Pam. But uh, I remember when I first came here, Pam Taylor, and she usually sits right up here, uh, she came up to me and she said, Pastor Tom, I know what you need to do. I said, what? She said, you need to go skydive Taft. I'd never even heard of Taft. But I had heard of skydiving. And I'm thinking to myself, you want me to jump out of a perfectly good airplane that I don't even know how it's up in the air to begin with. And you want me to entrust myself to a 10 by 10 piece of cotton that's supposedly going to save me from falling to my death via the effects of gravity. She's like, oh, I do it all the time. It's wonderful. Actually, I did consider it. I just don't want to be strapped to another man's back. I don't know why. That just kind of weirds me out. So, you know, but, but I did consider it once. But here was a funny thing I remember, you know. You have a greater chance at getting struck by lightning than you do dying from a parachute fall. Greater chance of being struck by lightning. Oh, yeah, Wayne. Wayne, that's right. Wayne was an airborne soldier in the army. So, you know, I mean, the, people don't die every day from parachute, but they, you know, hundreds of people die every year from lightning strikes. I don't know why, but I just got to be honest with you. I still don't go because there's a weird part of me that still does not trust the parachute. Something might not open, or even if it does work, you know, I'm so heavy, I'll just like go to the ground like an anvil, you know? And so, so I, I, but in theory, like for example, when Pam says, I'm going to go skydiving, that's great for you. <laughs> you can die. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's something about it where I'm like, I know I will see Pam again. I, I trust it but I don't trust it. I trust a parachute, but not really. I've not experienced trusting a parachute. And uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about trusting, uh, our, our, our trust in God in terms of our relationship. A, a few years ago, there's a book that came out called The Heavenly Man. Anybody ever read that? It was about uh, Brother Yoon, a Chinese Christian uh, who was horrifically persecuted as he was one of China's greatest evangelists. And the interesting thing about Brother Yoon is none of his life would have happened had not his mother overcome a crucial point in her life. When Brother Yoon was 16, his father came down with lung cancer and he was going to die. And, and there's, they, they don't have what we have in here, you know, with Social Security and everything. I mean, if, if this man dies, the family is going to become poor, homeless, and she's going to see her boys starve. And she was done. Uh, she was just, she was, she was, she was, she had had enough. Life was too tough. 
And she was one of those rare things where she actually was a Chinese Christian from missionaries back in World War II. So she was kind of the, the leftover from that. She was a Chinese Christian, but she literally told Jesus, I just don't think I can trust you. My husband's dying. My boys are all rough and rowdy. I don't know where my life's going. And so that night, she had planned to take her life. While she was pondering this, she felt a voice come into her bedroom. And the voice said, I love you. You can trust me. That was all it said. And she was at that point of decision so many of us come. Can I move on and trust God or can I not? So the next day, she told her boys, you're not going to school. She said, you're not going to eat breakfast either because I ain't cooking breakfast. We're going to go up, we're going to get on our knees, and we're going to pray for your father. And miraculously, by the end of the day, he started to get better and better and better and better and better. And that was huge to the four boys who would go on to become They were not Christians at that point. They would go on to become Christians and believers and followers in Jesus. Brother Yoon was 16, and he did not have a Bible. Getting a Bible in China, Western China, was next to impossible. Until one day he heard a knock on the door. A man he had never met from a village he had never been to was knocking on his door. He had a package in his hand, and he said, was somebody asking for this? And he opened up the package, and it was a Bible. The man had seen in a dream that there was a young boy crying out for a Bible, and in the dream, it gave him the address and the village where the boy lived. So he showed up, and he handed him the package, risking his life, and he handed him a Bible. Brother Yoon would go on to memorize the book of Matthew, First, first book of the New Testament. He went on to memorize the book of Matthew, and then all of a sudden, these towns and villages in western China and in southern China, they were requesting that he, they, he would come so that he could recite the book of Matthew. And of course, he, he would add some drama to it, and he, and he had a ministry, an itinerant ministry, where he would recite the book of Matthew and then call people up for prayer and ministry after he would recite the book of Matthew. And I won't go into it, It'd take too long, but there were tons and tons, lots and lots of documented miracles by Brother Yoon as he traveled in southern and western China. His problems didn't really come until he came more toward the center and toward the east. And he was arrested. The first time he was arrested, they strung him up on a red cross, drug him through the streets. They left him in the interrogation room thinking he would not make it through the night. Miraculously, the ropes that were holding him snapped, and he walked out of the prison unharmed. This scenario would play itself six times until finally in 1997, he was able to be smuggled to Germany where he wrote a book about all of his experiences and all the miraculous and incredible things God had done. But I ask you this, am I telling you a story this morning about Brother Jung? No telling you a story about his mother 
his mother had come to the point whether she was to trust or not to trust. And I think it's a point all of us come to. It's a point I come to often. It's not a trivial point. Uh, don't play the good Christian face card. Say, oh, well, I always trust God. No, actually, it's, it's much harder. Much, much harder than we realize. We have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to trust God because often the doors that God opened to us just don't make any sense. So this morning, go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, and we'll read about another person who was asked to do something by God that just did not make any sense, and God called him to trust him and to see what would happen. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find the story, uh, we, can, we can skip a few, there we go. You'll find the story up here, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that as well, Acts chapter 9. Beginning in verse 10, let's pray, Heavenly Father, I ask you to open up our hearts to maybe see the areas where we have taken so much control that we don't trust you and see the areas where by trusting you, we'll get something better and be able to grow this morning in our openness and our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Beginning in verse 10, in Damascus, that's where Paul was going. To give you kind of a, a little setting of the story, this guy Paul is like a mafia crime boss, right? He's a hitman. He's taking people out. He's taking specific people out. He's taking out Christians. He's taking out people who are saying that Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah. He's Jewish. He believes in the temple. He believes in the Old Testament. He believes in everything else. And so he sees this as a threat. He is rounding him up. He is torturing them. He is imprisoning them. And if they do not turn, he is executing them. He is illegally murdering people for the Christian faith. On the way to Damascus, he gets blinded by a divine light. Jesus shows up and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want you to go to Damascus and I want you to wait there and I will tell you what you must do. So, so Paul wasn't looking for it, didn't expect it. All of a sudden, he's blind in the house of some guy named Judas. He's praying, and he doesn't quite know what's going to happen because the people who he had hunted now may find him very vulnerable as he's blind and groping for the walls. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. A Christian in the city that Paul was going, this was one of the men that Paul was going to round up, torture, imprison, or kill. He's the one on the mob hit list. They got his picture, they got his address, they got his phone number, they're going to get him. And the Lord called to him in a vision and said, and said Ananias. Of course, Ananias says, yes, Lord. Uh, you know, the Bible always, like, paints it like, you know, people talk to God like we talk to people on the phone. Uh, I, I, I don't think it was like that. I think when the Lord called Ananias, he probably, you know, nearly had a heart attack, you know, had to climb himself up on the table. And when he finally gained composure and cleaned up the whole mess, said, ha, ah, yes, Lord, speak. And uh, the Lord told him, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street in Damascus. By the way, in Damascus, this street still exists. Uh, yeah, it still exists. 
And it's, it's an interesting thing because it has actually moved 11 feet from its foundations. And it's kind of one of the proofs that they, that they use that the earth's crust is not stationary. It's shifting. You know, it's moving around. Stuff's moving around. It's not moving around a lot, obviously. Uh, but 11 feet, you know, from, from when it was built, probably maybe, you know, two, 3,000 years ago. And uh, so that street is still there. And this street was very much a public street. God's not saying to Ananias, I want you to go to this, you know, back little alley or I want you to go to this hut out in the middle of nowhere. He's saying, I want you to go down Chester Avenue. And there's a house right there in, in, in front of everybody. There's a dude staying there. I want you to go and I want everybody to see you go. This is, this is the setup here. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man. God doesn't often do this. And I don't know how many instances I'll have to look at. This is very rare in the Bible. But God actually tells Ananias the vision that he's given Paul. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and has restored his sight. Why is God doing this? God knew that Ananias would have some real problems going to pray for Whitey Bulger, you know? Uh, he knew that Ananias was going to think, man, I really had too much, you know, feta cheese last night and tahina. You know, I mean, I just, what happened? You know, who, who spiked my drink? I mean, he knew that Ananias was going to have some problems with it. So he goes the extra length to say, Ananias, I want you to know I have given Paul a vision and he has seen you coming to pray for him. Even with that, Ananias says, but Lord, but Lord, in verse 13, I have, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you ever wonder what's going on in there? I mean, I hear this every Sunday, and I'm like, what are they doing, you know? Lord, Ananias says, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. What's the translation? God, don't you know what kind of man this is? Don't you know what he's coming to do? God, don't you know what he's done to us? God, I don't think you're getting the big picture here. You want me to go to the leader of ISIS and pray for him. You want me to go to my sworn enemy. You want me to go to a man who just as much kill me as talk to me. And you want me to go and minister God's love to him and heal him? Don't you understand, God? I may go down for this. I may get thrown in prison for this. I may, I may have to suffer for this. Do you realize what I'm asking, what you're asking me to do? Because, you know, I'm doing just fine here. Uh, I'm under the radar. I'm off the grid. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to avoid persecution. I'm trying to live a quiet life. I go to work. I pay my bills. I raise my family. I don't need anything more, God. I, I'm, I'm just content. Let me live out my life in peace, but don't ask me to do this. Do you know what this guy's about? And most of the pastors in my church would agree. This is probably not from God. 
verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. And it's in the imperative. It's not, oh, why don't you go? <laughs> or let's go. 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 And stop all the self-talk, Ananias. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I can talk myself in circles, you know? When, when, when I'm presented a decision or I feel like maybe God's telling me to do something or I'm getting wisdom from someone else to do something, I, I start doing this talk thing, you know? And I begin to self-talk myself in circles where all of a sudden I'm going, God, do you realize that this doesn't make sense, that this is stupid, this doesn't, I, I don't know if I like your plan. I don't know if I get your plan. All of a sudden we begin to, and God's just like, stop all the self-talk. Stop, stop thinking about it. Just go do it. If I told you to do it, just go do it. Don't think, don't think, just do. Because yes, Ananias, you can think yourself in circles and that's living life by the flesh. But if you want to live life empowered by the spirit, just go do and let God go ahead of you. And so he says, this man is my chosen instrument. This man is my chosen instrument. Ananias, I know you're worried about you. I know right now the, the biggest thing on your mind is retirement and, and storehouses of food. I get that. I understand you're acting in self-preservation, and that's very natural. But this man is my chosen instrument. You're thinking about you. I'm thinking about the thousands that are going to be impacted by Paul's ministry. Ananias, will you just do what I say? Because you can't see what I see. You don't know what I know. You don't understand the impact this man is going to have. You don't understand he's going to write half the New Testament. You don't understand he's going to become your best friend. Your enemy is going to be your preacher. And will probably become one of your close friends. And Ananias, I don't have time to talk and reason this out with you. I just need you to go do it because I told you to do it. And trust me for the results. Trust me and only me for the results. Well, Ananias and Paul are in a very interesting predicament. Because in some ways you could say nobody really wants this but God. <laughs> Paul, the hunter, probably doesn't want the hunted to come and heal him. And uh, Ananias, the hunted, <laughs> doesn't really care about the hunter. You know, there's a real play on what's going on here. And God has sent them both a vision. Paul, Ananias is going to come. Ananias, I want you to go. Have you ever felt... God prompts you to do something, to go somewhere. No matter where you are at in your faith, you know, you wouldn't be here if there wasn't some spark. Very rarely does a, 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 a you know, completely spiritually dead, diehard atheist, you know, uh, there's rarely the openness. I, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that most of you, there, there's, there's something in there where where. where you know God's involved with this world, with our lives. You feel it in your conscience. You feel it in your heart. Sometimes it's in your thoughts. You have dreams, and you're like, I wonder if that was God. You, know, you just get that sense that God is putting something on your heart, something you need to do, a person to forgive, maybe someone to, get, to help out with some money or someone to encourage with a word or an attitude you have toward a certain group of people that God wants you to change. 
These are things that, that God's called us to do, and, 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 and we, we, we argue with them. We, we talk about it with them. We, get, let the, we let our self-talk become our conversation with God. And sometimes God doesn't answer back. Sometimes we lay all this out. It's like, okay, God, what do you have to say? And he says, I still just want you to go. I still just want you to do what I want you to do. I, this is what I want you to do. Now just go do it. I get that way too often with God. And I have to, probably need to enter therapy for it one day. But anyway, the most natural feeling in the world is self-preservation. Let's face it. Most of us, most of us are reasonable, intelligent, adult people. And what have we done with that? We've come to a conclusion. We know what's best for our lives. We know just how far we're, we, we think stretching our comfort zone is good for us. We know just how far taking risks is good for us. And so we kind of have this weird thing inside us we kind of have this conclusion that we know what's best for us. And every now and then, God challenges it and says, would you trust me with what's best for you? Would you trust me for what is even the best way to live? Would you trust me to help define what quality of life is, what love is? with having the kingdom of God in your heart is, with what eternal life with Christ is, with, with what having the Holy Spirit swirling all around you is. And we have this tug of war. Now, if you feel like you fail this test, don't worry. I fail it often. And uh, let me show you four men that I can very easily identify with for people who kind of have this tug of war with God all the time. The first one is Moses. Moses, the great Jewish leader who gave the law, who, who, who did the, the, what was it? I can't remember if he hit his, no, no, he raised his staff, right? Raises his staff, and what happens? The Red Sea parts, you know, and, and, and of course, on the other end, he's coming up out of that Red Sea. Hey, have you gone uh, skydiving lately? Ziplining, but they all burned up. Zip, ziplining. You trust your life to a little line that big? <laughs> okay, never mind. So we start with Moses. It, coming up out of the Red Sea, the people have a problem. There's no water. They're in the Sinai Desert. I've been in the Sinai Desert. There's no water. It's as dry as you think California is in a drought. Think 200 years from now and it hasn't rained. That's what this place looks like. All burnt up and nothing there. And, there, and this is where God led his people. And they're naturally getting thirsty. And they're thinking to themselves, Moses, we're really excited about that whole Red Sea thing, but dying of thirst wasn't what we thought that the conclusion of that was going to be. And so Moses goes before God, and God gives him instructions. In Exodus 17, he says, I want you to strike the rock once, and water will flow through it. Moses does exactly what God says the way that God says it. That was at the beginning. How many of you know that things can sometimes be a lot easier at the beginning? Marriage? Isn't marriage easier at the beginning? Especially the first night, well, first year. First, first year, you know. Um, you know, 
It's, it's, it's great, you know? We're all happy. We're all, you know? Now the years have gone on. They've got the Ten Commandments. They've wandered around. And now they're at the border of the Promised Land. Decades have gone by. And you know what's happened in those decades? People have started grumbling. People have started complaining. Moses' own brother and sister came up to him and said, uh, we don't like that you married this foreign woman. She's a foreign woman. We're in the foreigners. Go send away your foreign wife because we don't want her foreign mouth here anymore. God gets mad at them. This is the environment that a leader rebels against him and God has to deal with it by opening up the earth and swallowing the leader. Uh, Moses sends 12 spies into the land. 10 of them come back and say, we don't really think God can do it. We don't trust him. Only two out of 12 trust God that if that's the land he's given them, he's gonna do it. This is the world in which Moses lives in. And he's at an all-time low in his ministry. He's at an all-time low in his leadership. And once again, they're out in the middle of nowhere and there's no water. So, He goes before God and God says, you know what? This time, I want you to speak to the rock. Just merely speak to it and water will come out of it. He says, last time, you know, I'm kind of worried that people thought maybe you were just that good. You know, you broke the rock, knew there was water there. This time, I want them to see I love them so much. The power of the Holy Spirit is so filling this camp. Just speak to it and, and, and let them see how much I love them. But Moses is mad. He doesn't like the people right now. He walks away from God's presence and he looks out on the people and he says, you rebellious people, you pathetic, rebellious twerps. Look what we, now Aaron's standing next to him, look what we are about to give you. And he takes his staff and he smacks the rock violently twice. And water comes out of the rock. Water came. But at the end of the day, Moses was done with God's way of doing it. Moses was going to take over. He was going to tell the people, you rebellious people, he was going to give them the what for. He was going to say, we're giving you the water. Wait a minute, whoa, 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 these are God's people. Whoa, 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 God's giving the water. God gave instructions to speak to the rock, but Moses had got to a place. He just didn't want to hear it anymore. He knew what God was doing was right to give water, but he didn't agree with the way in which God was going to have it done. He didn't want to speak to it. Who knows, maybe he wanted to show off his incredible strength. But at the end of the day, he makes a big statement. I'm in control. I I trust what I can do. And then we come to Jonah. Jonah is a very interesting character because God tells him to do something. Uh, There's this town to the north called Nineveh. And these people treated Jonah's people horribly. They killed them. They raped them. They imprisoned them. They, you know, they even mistreated pregnant women. I mean, it's fully documented that this town and city of two million people treated the Israelites horrifically. Jonah is spending most of his life praying that God sends a catastrophe to wipe them out. They are absolute 
enemies to each other. And one day, God comes and says, I'm going to send a catastrophe against the town of Nineveh. And Jonah's like, yes, I've been praying for this. And God says, but I want you to go and warn them, tell them to repent, and if they repent, I won't send it. And Jonah says, no, that's not what I want to happen. I like plan A. Send the catastrophe, and then we'll come in and take over. He is so upset, he runs in the opposite direction. Goes down to a port, gets on a ship, and he's going the exact opposite of where God's calling him to go. You know the story. You know, God sends a storm. The ship's about to sink. Jonah says, throw me over. The fish swallows him and pukes him up on dry land. And we start again. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and warn them. You see, he just... He, 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 he did not want God to show mercy on his enemies. Jonah could not see the greater good in peace and forgiveness. And so what happened was, you know, eventually he did go there and preach, and they did repent. Interesting thing is, a long time ago, um, my roommate's roommate was a diehard atheist. And I remember, I, I, I love talking to these guys, because I was once too. I, think I, I feel like I, I have a bridge to understand. And, and he said, this is the story as to why I can't stand the God of the Bible. Jonah didn't want to go. And God put pressure on him to go. Jonah runs, and what does God do? He sends a storm. He's out to kill him. He's so mad that Jonah won't do what he told him to do. He's going to kill him. He puts him in a fish. I mean, basically, Jonah's got no choice. God's saying, you either do what I want you to do or that's it. So that's why I can't stand God. And I, I remember thinking about that for a moment. I was like, okay, yeah, I see that. I don't think Jonah was ever in any danger because the one who sent the storm can save you from the storm. The one who sent the fish can save you from the fish. So I see your point, yeah. God did put the squeeze on Jonah. He did. He did put some pressure on him, didn't he? I'd say a, being swallowed by a fish is some pressure, wouldn't you? It's a little. But maybe the story isn't about Jonah. Maybe God truly cares for the two million human beings that are in Nineveh. And he's willing to put some pressure on an obstinate prophet in order to see two million people's lives saved. See, it's all about perspective. Ananias, he's thinking about himself. God, I may get tortured. I may get imprisoned, da, da, da. What is God seeing? Do you understand the thousands that Paul's gonna reach? The millions and billions, really, that he's gonna affect? Jonah, the same thing. Uh, da, 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 da. Jonah, do you understand? There's a couple hundred thousand that don't even know their right hand from their left. Why do I tell you about these guys? Because I confess to you at times I've been a Moses. There's times where I've just taken control because I, I didn't trust God. Times when I've been Jonah, where I have ran from what God has called me to do because what he wanted to do is not what I wanted done. I wanted God to fry him, not save him. <laughs> then there's Peter. Peter literally tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And, and, of course, Jesus had to call him Satan. He said, I rebuke you, Satan. I mean, that's an escalation of tension in the relationship when Jesus calls you the devil, right? You know? 
<laughs> I've been a Peter. There's times where I fought God's will because I didn't trust him. And then we come to Ananias. He says, God, I, I don't understand why you're doing this. Therefore, until I understand what you're doing, I'm going to argue with you and do nothing. I can't see how this is going to do anybody any good. And God often says, trust me with what you can't see. Maybe there is a you inside of you that's an awesome you that you don't know about. Maybe there's a future that's different from the future you've envisioned. That's an awesome future that you don't know about. Maybe there's a way of life that's a way of life that you've never considered because you would never consider that way of life best for you. But not only is it going to be best for you, you're going to feel truly alive like you've never felt before. God says, trust me. Even though we may think we know, there are many things we don't know. My first point is this. Sometimes God wants us to let go of what we're holding on to so that he can give us something better. Ananias is holding on to fear. And God wants to give him faith. Ananias is holding on to unforgiveness. And God wants to give him love. Ananias is holding on to doubt and mistrust. And God wants to give Ananias an experience that would cause him to have greater trust. But, as the world turns, we often settle. So I come to my teddy bear. It's a nice teddy bear. And this teddy bear represents where many of us settle, where many of us uh, are content to just try to stay out of God's radar because in our heart of hearts, we're not sure if God can be trusted. So I'd like to ask Tony to come on up and... Uh, Tony is going to represent, I think, what many of us struggle with at times. The same thing that Moses struggled with at times, Jonah, Peter, Ananias. Just that sense of, God, we know what's best. Yes, cuddle, cuddle that thing, you know. In fact, in fact, tell the church that you love it. Just, just, just look out and say, I love it. In fact, why don't you look into its eyes and say, I love it. Let's, let, let, let's hear you say, say, I love you. I love you. Ah. We can love it. What we've settled for, we can love. We can think it's the greatest thing since cottage cheese. Uh, maybe in what we've settled for, it's provided a nice life. But here's the thing. We may think that this is as good as it gets. This is as good as, that's what Ananias thought. Hey, you know what? I may be on the run, but I'm not caught yet. Saul may be coming to get me, but he hasn't found me yet. I, you know, I may be below the radar, but I'll make it just like this. He's settling for that teddy bear. And a lot of times God's saying, give it to me so that I can give you something better. Now this is a teddy bear. Oh, come on. You should give a shout of praise for this one right now. You know. 
This is what God has for us. Bigger, better. What what does Paul say? To the God who is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. You know who wrote that? The same guy that Ananias is going to pray for. And this is what happens. God says, See, he sees what he's got for us. We think this is as good as it gets. And he says, oh, I got this. So he kind of reaches out again. And he, uh. oh. <laughs> ten, ten years go by. And, you know. no. We retire. <laughs> We're finally on our deathbed. Now that's a teddy bear worthy of a Tony. Amen? So. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Okay. Well, now. You can go sit with him if you want. If you want, yeah. (laughs) Do you get it? Sometimes we settle for powerless faith. Powerless faith thinking we really know what's best or that we can really see when all along God's got an amazing life for us, an amazing world for us, an amazing love for us, but we can only enter into that if we're willing to be empowered by the Spirit to trust God because God doesn't send the full email. He doesn't give all 10 steps. He usually just gives you the next step. This is what I want you to do. And as we do that next step, he gives you step two and then step three. And as we go through the steps, what happens? Trust begins to build. That's my second point, my last point. Trust doesn't come through just knowing, but through doing. I can know that the parachute is not going to break. I know that. Pam has experienced it. She knows it in a way I'll never know. No, 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 I, I, (laughs) it's just an example, Pam. (laughs) Trust doesn't come just through knowing, but through doing. Whether it be in our relationships or in our finances, you know, whenever trouble starts to come my way, the first thing I'm going to think is, what are some areas where I know I'm not following God? And I immediately try to clean those up and clear those up right away. There have been time, you know, times where, where my wife and I, we're, we're, you know, just the other day, you know, we, we, were, we were in a conflict. Probably about the second thing I've done wrong in the whole marriage. And so, you know, <laughs> and so, and, and, and I remember it was, it was we, 
we were not going to resolve it. And I was like, man, what do I do? This is discouraging. And I remember as I went to pray about it, God said, I don't want you to worry about your wife or your marriage. I just want you to get realigned with me. Come back under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit. Clean up what you know you need to clean up. Get doing what you know I've called you to do. Get forgiven who I know you've called you to forgive. Get loving who I've called you to love. Get praying what I've called you to pray. And all of a sudden, as I got into alignment... Things start to work out. I'm, I'm viewing things with a different view. Get this way financially. Oh, man, that I start freaking out about money. and da, 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 da. Get back under alignment. Start trusting God. And all of a sudden, I begin to see things in a different light. There's one thing to know it. But God didn't say to Ananias, I want you to know you can trust me. God said, Ananias, Go. And I promise you, when you come back, you will have trust. You will have trust. You're going to see a blind man healed right in front of you. Would that not give you trust? A blind man healed right in front of you. And so, I leave you with an illustration this morning. Which teddy bear are you holding on to? And would you be willing? You can't just do this on your own. I'm not just saying go home and trust God more. You can't. We are naturally self-preservationists. We are naturally prideful. We really do think we know we're smart and we've got the best plan for our life. What I'm asking you to do is open your heart to say, you know what, God? Give me the courage to trust you with what I cannot see, to follow you when I'm not sure I really want to, to not oppose you, but to let you live through me and to know that in doing that, I get a better teddy bear, a bigger teddy bear. If I would say the thing I see as a pastor most is people holding on so tightly to faithlessness and distrust. Thinking that this is where comfort and peace come from. Never realizing that's what God has for them. And why does God have that? Because he loves you. He really does. You may not even feel worthy of the big teddy bear. I don't. I fight with God all the time. I can't believe he still allows me to do what I do. I really can't. I won't argue with him one day if he removes me. Because I know how much I fight with him. And yet I know at the end of the day, that's God's heart for me. That's God's plan for me. To release the faithlessness and the lack of trust. To just obey him and trust God for the results. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. This morning, the first step to trusting in God is to trust whom he has sent and whom he has purchased our relationship with to trust Jesus. 
And so this morning, I mean, this is part of what it's all about. It's trusting that Jesus is who he said he was. That God is not who others say he is, or the media, or the movies, or, or the movie stars. I mean, that, that God is who he said he was in the Bible. Like what he said to Ananias. Go, I promise you. I will be with you. I've set all this up. There's things you can't see. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to humiliate you. I don't want to embarrass you. I want to empower you. I want you to live a life you never thought you could live. I want you to have a love you never thought you could have. I want you to experience a marriage you never thought could be. I want to give you the bigger teddy bear. So this morning, I just want to make a very simple invitation. Who of you would say, you know what, it's time. I I want it to be real. I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want the biggest teddy bear he's got for me. Go ahead, close your eyes, bow your heads. If that's what you would like to do, I just want you to raise your hand high in the air. Nobody's looking. I haven't called the worship team up yet. It's just us right now. Amen. 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 Many hands. Why don't we all pray this? Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I make you my Lord and I receive your spirit. Help me to trust in you to get that teddy bear that's best for me by trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. And rejoice that our God is faithful. He is trustworthy. Perhaps if there's one thing that my position here at the church gives me a bird's eye view of, or even a close-up view maybe, is to hear all the different stories of how people trusted in God and he came through. He's real and he loves you and he died for you. Let's just pour our hearts to him once again.